Well, good morning. The Christmas season is officially upon us. And now we know that other holidays honor famous people or commemorate significant historical events, such as President's Day, Independence Day, and Veterans Day. But unlike these holidays that honor great works and human achievement and sacrifice, Christmas honors a divine person and remembers a divine event. How will you prepare to worship Christ this Christmas? With Thanksgiving being so late this year, it means that many of us gather to give thanks to God for his many blessings, enjoy turkey and perhaps a little football, and ushered in the Christmas season all in one long weekend. Show of hands, please. How many of you have put up your Christmas tree? Good for you. And I know from Facebook that some of you have even purchased all of your presents. Good for you again. Well, for the rest of us, there are only 24 days until Christmas, which means there are meals to plan, presents to buy and wrap, trees to trim, and homes to decorate. There are neighbors to care for and plans with family to make. Not to mention those of us who are working, engage in our normal work, work schedules, and for students, there are exams to pre prepare for and semesters to finish. No wonder millions will arrive on Christmas Eve a bit distracted or utterly exhausted. And all of this to say, there just may be danger that there's no room in the end of our hearts to journey to the manger to worship Christ. And so this morning, to help align our hearts and minds with this beautiful Advent season of hope and peace and love and joy, we're going to take a look at the well-known passage in Luke's gospel known as the Magnificat. It just may be the New Testament's first Christmas carol. And as I was preparing to share today, I was struck how the Magnificat and three other hymns that Luke uses in the beginning of his gospel to share the story, to try to capture the miracle of the incarnation, I was struck at how each hymn shows the deeply rooted Christian faith in the ancient expressions of Israel's faith. But before we dive into our passage, we're going to travel back in time a few hundred years before the birth of Christ with a prayer. When will he come, the Savior that is promised? How will I know him, I ask you, how? Will it be soon his might and glory? I cry out, Lord, come near now. For I am lost and alone, crying in the night. The night is long, the shadow deep. 
my aching heart longs for peace and joy. Yet in sorrow and pain do I weep. And so it was. For 400 years, the people of God cried out to heaven, but heaven was silent until one day, in the perfect providence of God, the angel Gabriel appeared to a young Hebrew girl with a divine announcement that would change the world and her life forever. Behold, you will be with child, and you will give birth to a son, and you shall call him Jesus, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Now nothing in her young life could have prepared Mary for this astonishing announcement and so all she could say was how will this be as I'm a virgin? And the angel answered the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The child to be born will be called Holy Son of God. Even Elizabeth your relative is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. To us, this Christmas story is a beautiful story, full of hope and promise. For Mary, it was a perilous one, for while there was glory in the divine message that Mary would bear the Christ child, this miraculous display of God's power would have had tremendous hardship for this young woman and the man she was to marry. And all of these things took place in a time and culture where having a child out of wedlock meant a certain life of disgrace, drawing attention to the inmost aspects of her life, bringing into question her character and integrity, and forcing her into the limelight of an unwanted stage. Beyond the embarrassment, there was real danger of being isolated. And for a woman at this time and place, being isolated meant being ostracized, which could prove fatal. And what about Joseph, her fiancé? How would he respond to this news? An engagement in those days was considered as strong as a commitment, as a covenant of marriage. Would he even believe her? What should normally be a time of joy and celebration, two families coming together, full of hope for the future, now thrust them in the center of controversy. And we know from Matthew's gospel that Joseph heard Mary's news, and if not for the intervening grace of God, he made plans to quietly divorce her. But... How does Mary respond? Her immediate response was to go and visit her cousin Elizabeth. She wanted to see this miracle of God, this movement of God's grace with her own eyes. And Luke tells us that upon Mary's arrival, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leapt for joy. And Elizabeth herself was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the child you will bear. 
Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. This greeting by Elizabeth brought confirmation to Mary's own heart that divine announcement delivered by Gabriel would indeed come to pass. And young Mary, overcome with emotion, breaks out in a song that may be our first Christmas carol. I invite you to join me as I look at our passage this morning, reading from Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 46. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. In that last sentence, I think Luke not only gives us the first Christmas carol, he gives us the first women's ministry. You see, Mary traveled to be with her relative Elizabeth to care for her, to see this miracle of God's grace, and to offer her encouragement and support. The two women, no doubt, had three months to just mull over all that the angel Gabriel had had done in their lives. This work of God's grace was unprecedented, and no doubt they gave each other much mutual support. Now, there are many treasures woven throughout this passage, and the first one is this. Mary's humble hymn of praise reveals that she is a woman well acquainted with God's word. While Mary would have not had access to the written word, her song reveals she most certainly was familiar with the spoken one. As a young Hebrew girl, she would have recited the Psalms, learned stories of the Old Testament, and been encouraged by Old Testament women of faith, such as Sarah, Ruth, and Hannah. And in fact, Mary's song bears such a strong resemblance to Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel. Hannah, another young Hebrew woman of faith, desperately wanted a child and poured out her heart to God. And when God answered her prayer, Hannah thanked God for his gracious provision of a son, by praising him for his covenant faithfulness. Like Hannah, Mary's heart was indeed saturated with the word of God. And now Mary was beginning to recognize this unmistakable hand of God's grace in her own life. It was her time in his word that had allowed her to know the God of the Old Testament and to trust him with all the unraveling parts of her life, recalling his covenant faithfulness in the past, gave her the ability to see her life 
and all of these extenuating circumstances in the context of God's larger story of redemption. It allowed her to respond in faith and even with joy and thanksgiving without completely knowing what the future would hold. Satan spends 168 hours a week trying to deceive us, trying to move us off of our game. Why would we devote five minutes a day in short devotion? A heart that prepares room to worship Christ intentionally makes regular time to be in his word. Christian author and missionary Elizabeth Elliot knew this kind of strength from being in his word. She and her husband Jim were missionaries in Ecuador during the 1950s. Many of you know the story. Elizabeth's world turned upside down when her husband and four other missionaries were tragically murdered while trying to reach out to a very primitive tribe of Indians. Remarkably, Elizabeth would later spend two years as a missionary to this same tribe. Several years later, in an interview, she shared, When peace in my heart was nowhere to be found, I found strength, not in rehearsing the chaos of my circumstances, but learned through his word to focus on the things that stand the test of time. And I ask you, what is that? But the character of God. Jesus says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mary, like Elizabeth Elliot, like Ruth, like Sarah, like Deborah, like so many of the characters we read in the scriptures, look to the faithfulness of God in the past to give them courage to face the future. What about when your hour of need comes? Are you able to find the words to express a heart of joy and faith and peace? The Holy Spirit promises to give us, to intercede for us, to pray for us when the Bible is just 8,000 pounds and we can't seem to wrap our minds around reading a scripture. But only if we know him through his word regularly otherwise. Mary found strength to persevere. We find strength to persevere, not in rehearsing the chaos of our circumstances, but when we rely in the character of his word. Indeed, a love for the word of God helps us remember our lives are a small part of this bigger story of redemption. And Elizabeth Elliot would say, praying God's word is one of the great evidences of a work of grace in our heart. When the word dwells richly in our hearts, it takes the reins of the world's circumstances that seem to be closing in and like buoys in the ocean, lead us safely back into harbor. In Psalm 19 we read, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Let every heart prepare him room. Now what else does Mary's song teach us? Well, many things. But one important one, in verse 47 she says, My soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. 
You see, Mary's song shows us that she recognized her need for a savior. While Mary was most certainly blessed among women and received the singular holy gift of being chosen by God to become the mother of Jesus, she knew herself to be a sinner and like the rest of us, in desperate need of God's saving grace. And in fact, later in Luke's gospel, one woman publicly exalts Mary by crying out to Jesus saying, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that nursed you. But Jesus responds by redirecting that woman's praise saying, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. To be sure, Mary experienced Emmanuel, God with us, in no other way any human being will ever experience. But her song reveals she understood the greatest gift in her life, the greatest blessing one can receive, is the gift of forgiveness of sins through faith, through faith in Jesus. Her spirit rejoiced in God, her Savior. Now this Christmas, you and I will most likely find a lot of joy in choosing gifts for the people that we love and probably a lot of joy in receiving some. And that's great. But for the Christian, he or she knows that on Christmas Eve, the greatest gift, those gifts that we give each other are just window dressing. The greatest gift we have received is the forgiveness for our sins through Jesus Christ, and in fact recognize that he has already solved the biggest problem that you and I will ever have, and that is being separate from the Father. God has a plan. You are safe in his plan when Jesus is the point of the plan. That's the gift. A grandfather who wanted to give his granddaughter and her fiance a very special wedding gift chose a, a beautiful leather Bible and had their names engraved on the cover. And so he was so excited when Thanksgiving rolled around, the family was going to be together, and he couldn't wait to ask the young couple how they were doing. And he leaned over to his granddaughter and he said, how'd you like my gift? And for just a moment she thought, oh, did I not write granddaddy a thank you note? And he goes, no, no, you did. I just want to know, did you open it? And she and her young husband realized with many of the wedding gifts they received, the Bible was still in the box that had been presented and was sitting in the hall closet. And he said, when you travel home, do me a favor, open the box and open the Bible. And so they did. They traveled back home and got the box out and opened it. And what they discovered was a $20 bill was at the beginning of each chapter. Now 20 times 66 is a pretty nice gift, but the point of the grandfather's gift was not the money. The point of his gift is that the word of God is a treasure, a gift more valuable than gold. It's meant to be cherished and treasured and learned. The best gift he could think to offer this next generation was a Bible that they could learn together in their young married life and walk through each chapter. You've heard the expression, 
when you open this book, its author shows up. And Charles Spurgeon would write, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Now today is December 1st, and there are 24 chapters in Luke's Gospel. What would it look like for each of us to intentionally set aside time to be present with God and His Word, reading one chapter a day? By Christmas Eve, we will have walked through Luke's glorious Gospel together and no doubt met its magnificent author. Let every heart prepare him room. Finally, how does this passage fit within the context of Luke's overall message of his gospel? Simply this, God's gift of salvation extends to all who place their hope and trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, and this includes a host of unlikely characters. In Luke's Gospel, we see that all different kinds of people experience the joy of knowing Jesus through salvation. The Samaritan woman, the leper, the outcast, the tax collector, and in this particular passage, in a time and place where women were looked upon as a little more than property, and indeed, a Pharisee began each morning with a prayer that said, I thank you, God. I was born not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Luke places two women in center stage, one old and barren, the other young and virgin and unmarried, to show that he works the impossible to bring about the possible. His great purposes and plans to show that he is God, in barrenness, in messiness, in obstacles, in painful seasons, we trust in his unfailing love and redemptive purposes. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. How will you worship Christ this Christmas? May every heart prepare him room. Let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, we thank you and are so grateful that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We ask your blessing on each person here that you would draw them deep into your word. Help each of us grow according to the gospel. And Father, we thank you in this season where our neighbors, so many friends, our co-workers, the whole world is humming with activity and tasks. Would you slow us down? Teach us to, to be aligned to your word, that we may be bearers of your truth and witnesses to your reign and rule in our own lives. We ask all these things in your precious and unfailing name. Amen.